1: Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Peristyle Podcast. This is a Trojan Blast, a recruiting edition of the Peristyle Podcast, dedicated solely one guest, one guest only, Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com, national recruiting analyst. Gerard is on the phone with us. What's up, Gerard? How you doing, man? I'm
2: doing good, but I, I feel like... We probably should end the Trojan Blast now because I think it's all downhill after that introduction. I don't think it gets any better than that, Ryan. Yeah, pretty good. That's That was pretty good. That was uh yeah, you almost went in a whole other voice there. I think you were like summoning uh, you know, play by play guys from years past.
1: I think yeah, there's uh speaking of, we're losing a good play by play guy. Not a play by play guy, but at the Coliseum. Did you hear that, Gerard? You were you yes. Man. Yes, Dennis...
2: I, I I've heard I've heard much feedback about that and why Dennis Packer is no longer uh, at the Coliseum calling football games. Uh, it seems like uh, Trojan fans that went to the spring game were not real happy with that.
1: No, they tried like four different guys, and that's a voice. Like, I don't claim to have a good voice, you know, but we try to do these podcasts and be informative. And Dennis Packard, man, that guy has a voice, and we still don't know why he was let go. But that that's a topic for another day, I guess. I'm sure we'll get to that on future podcasts. But that, he's a great voice guy. We're really going to miss hearing him at the Coliseum if he is not retained, which it doesn't doesn't look like he is. But um, we do That's like
2: definitely a Dan Weber subject.
1: Yes, but we do like hearing your voice, Gerard, and we like to hear what you have to say about USC recruiting. Things are heating up, I guess you could say. Uh, we talked about it last week on the blast. Really, no time off for the coaches. Spring ball ends, and boom, they're all over the country checking players out, offers going out, all kinds of stuff going on.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, just right into it, you know, right on the trail. And um, you've got uh, coaches out there nationally. You've got coaches locally. You know, you heard about uh, Clay Helton up in uh, Placer, California, and uh, was up there uh, videotaping uh, Eddie VanderDose, who's a 6'4", 285-pound four-star defensive tackle, and, um, kind of following them around and watching them. And, and, it was, uh, I think the Sacramento Bee who put that up and, and wrote the story about, uh, just how, you know, USC kind of does things, uh, from a, from an evaluation standpoint. The article kind of spun it like this is what USC was doing to impress Eddie Vander does, but it's really not what they do to impress recruits. It's just part of the evaluation. At this point in time, California recruits are not actually in football. Uh, California recruits are still doing track. They're just working out. They're doing a lot of non-football events. You don't start doing football in California in high school until May. So the coaches go out there and they videotape all the other things, Uh, videotape weight training, just videotaping the kids and their environment and kind of how they are. And it's very important. It's an important uh, tool, uh, obviously, for Lane Kiffin to be able to go over And to look at because he's not able to go on the road. They don't allow college head coaches to go on the road anymore for May evaluations. So, this is one of those things where the assistant coaches are able to bring back film of different events and different things that the kids are doing, whether it be baseball, like Vander does, or uh, some kids are in track and they'll videotape, you know, the track sessions. And, and it's really just a good tool from an evaluation standpoint. Uh, Vanderdose still doesn't have a scholarship offer, but maybe, you know, watching him play baseball and seeing, you know, how athletic he is at another sport might give food for thought for maybe giving him a scholarship offer. Um, so you had USC up in Central California, you know, Ed Ergeron was in Fresno with Clay Helton also and, you know, talking to Johnny Johnson and, and seeing some of these players that are there. They can also, you know, contact these guys and get one, Phone call during the May evaluation period, so it's also that point in time where they're able to make that you know that impression, that good first impression on recruits. And USC, you know, we spoke about this in the past. Blast is is kind of usually the school that talks to these kids first. They call them first, call them early in the morning, and. You know, T. Uh, Martin was just uh, actually in Georgia. He's he's matriculated himself away from the Northeast, and now he's down into uh, his home in the SEC. And he's been hitting Georgia the last couple of days. He saw Trey Johnson, uh, the uh, six-foot, 225-pound linebacker uh, from Lawrenceville, um, Georgia, who's committed to Auburn but really interested in, in seeing USC. He's going to come out for uh, an unofficial visit to USC during the summer. Um, he's going to be seeing Reuben Foster, the five-star linebacker uh, who used to live in Georgia. used to live in LaGrange, Georgia and now has moved over to Auburn, Alabama. Um, you know, saw Alvin Kamara who's a 5'10", 185", 190-pound running back um, from uh, Norcross, Georgia, who we just put a story up. You guys should check that out because he talks a lot about USC and his upcoming unofficial visit to USC, top speed back in the South. So, he was hitting all these guys, and he went and saw Kamara at 6 a.m. in the morning, which is 3 a.m. our time. He probably got up at like 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, and you want to talk about a grind. I mean, that's a grind. That's, uh, you know, you're going different times, the changes, and you're having to get up that early to check out a 6 a.m. workout. I mean, that's really putting in the work and, and T Martin's doing some things, you know, I'm hearing a lot about him down there in the South and, and, uh, he's hitting the trail hard and it's uh, kind of USC's got a double dose there with Ed Ergeron, uh, able to hit, uh, you know, Louisiana and, uh, some of these other Southern States. And then you've got T Martin who's going to be hitting Georgia and Alabama and South Carolina. Um, it's pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, you know, the way USC's doing it. And then obviously you've got the Kiffins and they're pulling Florida. So, We're seeing uh, a lot of overlap, and and these guys are going to be working these kids. And it's really right now all about trying to get those unofficial visits over the summer. You know, if they're able to get those unofficial visits during the summer, they're able to get some of these kids to the Rising Stars camp, it really pays off. Because we've we've seen with the past class, Nelson Aguilar, Leonard Williams, those two guys were Rising Stars alumni. And they had that chance and that opportunity to be around the team, be around the coaches, be in that environment at USC for a couple of days. And I think, as I said time and time again, the biggest factor, the biggest um, really – pitch that usc can make is the coaching staff itself that's their greatest asset when it comes to recruiting i think those guys are personality the way they approach uh coaching I, I think it really is an eye-opener for kids and and the more kids they're able to get around the rising stars camp and, and be able to be a part of that environment of of a simulated usc practice uh, the more guys are going to be able to sign from out of state
1: all right uh good stuff there gerard well we have a ton of questions to get to. And I think it's going to talk a lot, a few of the topics that you already discussed, but we'll kind of go over them. A lot of specific players we want to get to, some general recruiting questions. We'll try to get to all of that. We love your questions. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. You can email us anytime and send in your questions on the podcast and we'll do our best to answer them. I want to start with an international question, Gerard. MacD. In international. International. Cool. Love it. Uh, Canada. Vancouver. British Columbia. Uh, our neighbor to the north. He wants to know, um, USC can sign three early enrollees that count towards the 2012 class, but it seems like there's a lot of USC targets wanting to or hoping to enroll early. He wanted to know if you have more than three that are available, like if you have six early enrollees come in, how does that count? They can't all count towards the 2012 class. Is there a limitations, and how do you do that?
2: Correct. Uh, This is a very hot topic among the fans. Everybody wants to try to get in as many early enrollees as possible. Unfortunately, there are only three early enrollees that are able to overlap and go towards that 2012 class. So regardless of how many guys that come in early, there's only three that are going to be able to count towards that 2012 class. So you're getting 18 regardless. The other guys can enroll early, so there's no stipulation that just because – You don't count towards the 2012 class. You cannot enroll in January. They can enroll in January, and they can still participate in spring ball, which is still positive. It's still very positive to get kids in and get them into spring ball because, A, it bolsters your number for spring ball, and we've seen the last two years. I think that one thing that Sanctions has done is kind of killed spring ball because, USC just doesn't have the depth, you know. Especially offensive line, you got a couple guys injured. You know, we saw the tight end position, which is actually a position they have a lot of depth at this year, and they still really couldn't run a lot of drills because they didn't have tight ends. And you know, that's kind of spring ball too. I mean, you know, the coaches are going to be conservative with health issues, and they're not going to push the guys too hard. That's just not the way USC does it. There's other programs who do push spring ball, and they make spring ball like this big deal that that's when you're going to compete for a job. But at USC, it's not really about that. It's really just kind of uh, kind of, a, uh, reinforcing the playbook and, and getting guys, you know, accustomed to uh, what to expect maybe in fall camp more. But it's a great opportunity for the young guys to be able to come in. We saw Scott Starr uh, this past spring, you know, just get the playbook head on, you know, and dive into it. And that's going to help him so much. Just from a, a mental standpoint, but also a physical standpoint of being able to kind of already just jump in and hit the ground with, you know, hit the ground running basically with playing middle linebacker and making that adjustment and not, you know, kind of starting all over being a, a high school guy that's trying to make that transition from, from high school to college and all the off-field stuff that you have to worry about and get right in and and make that adjustment and make that transition on top of, you know, making a transition to a different position. So he's got that under his belt. You know, all he's got to worry about is just showing up at fall camp and doing what he was doing at the end of spring ball. So it's really a big advantage to those guys that can get in early, and it was something that that wasn't really pushed too much uh, by Pete Carroll and his staff. I don't know if it's necessarily being pushed by Lane Kiffin, Uh, In so much as they just want at least those three guys. I think everything after that is pretty much gravy.
1: Yeah, but the the bottom line is six could come in and enroll early, three would count towards the class of 2012. The other three would count towards the class of 2013.
2: Yes, much more uh, succinct in the way way you said
1: it. (laughs) Just so, you know, if people got lost in there, I just want to kind of sum that up. Uh, David had a question. This is interesting, and hopefully it won't be too hard. I don't know if you, I think I sent you the question, Gerard, but. He said, is USC counting 26 players towards the class of 2011? By his count, there were 21 players brought in uh, signing day. Then they also brought in uh, this February uh, or this January Wheeler, Chad Wheeler, Devante Wilson, Morgan Breslin, Scott Starr, and then Josh Shaw. And he had two uh, theories of what could happen. One, Josh Shaw might not be counting towards that class of 2011. You can maybe comment on that. Or Amir Carlisle who is already gone, maybe he wouldn't count anymore. Uh, do you, do you kind of understand where he's coming from there, about 26, and, and how is Essie getting around that?
2: That's a good question, and it's a, a complicated answer, uh, just as all these you know, sanction and number questions kind of tend to be. The moving part in all this is really Josh Shaw, because transfers can count towards two classes. There's some flexibility there. So for Josh Shaw, you can actually have him count towards 2012, or you can have him count towards 2011. So he kind of teeters there. From the numbers looking at it, we would assume that Amir Carlisle transferring out opened up a spot for that 2011 class. Uh, Because if you have Josh Oxley count towards the 2012 class, that means you're only going to be able to roll over two early enrollees for the 2013 class and that would make that class 17, where we're hearing that USC is actually going to be able to bring in 18. So that at this point is kind of the assumption, but it is something to kind of look at because we don't really know what the rule is with transfers going out. We just kind of understood the rule that transfers coming in actually have that flexibility of counting towards two classes. And we actually were originally told by a couple of very good sources who you would think know would know That it actually didn't, that you know, transfer in didn't count towards any class. It was just towards the total, you know, seventy-five number. But that has been uh, revised, and it sounds like you can actually bring in a transfer, and he'll count towards two classes, depending on what class, you know, you need him to count towards. And for USC, obviously, in this situation, to get the most out of it, it would be that two thousand eleven class. So that's basically how we're understanding the numbers. That's how USC gets not really twenty-six, but twenty-five, because Amir Carlisle is not a part of that two thousand eleven class anymore.
1: All right. Thanks for that one, David. Let's go. Here's a philosophy question from Jamal. Uh, Reiner Gerard, how come Lane Kiffin and USC don't fill up their class as fast as they can to fill positions of, of need? What I mean is if you look at other powerhouses like Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma, et cetera, before spring ball is over, they have at least half of their recruiting class filled. Is California recruiting different than East Coast? Uh, thanks. Fight on from Jamal.
2: Is that empiricism uh, or rationalism? I wasn't really sure. I didn't really catch which uh, philosophy uh, that would be. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's really approach, and, and USC has done it differently uh, for a number of years. Texas has always been out in front. I think it's different for Texas just because of Texas high school football and the amount of exposure kids get early on in their high school careers in Texas. And so Texas is really kind of a different animal. Alabama's doing it a little more now. They're they're capitalizing on their success and they're getting some, some guys that commit early and, and, and doing a pretty good job but they've, in the past, not necessarily have gone really hard early. I think it's just been kind of this year and last year. Um, they've you know, been successful, and they've had some good teams, and they've kind of tried to build on that, and it's just about momentum with recruiting sometimes, uh, but Alabama's always a team that tries to leave a little room towards the end of the year to make a run on some five-star guys, kind of similar to the way that you know, Florida State used to do it, and with USC, they definitely do take their time, and I think with the environment right now, with the limited scholarships, it's very important to make sure that you know early commitments are nice, they they're, they're get the fans excited and everything, but they really don't mean anything because it's just a verbal commitment. And we've seen this time and time again. And with USC and the limitations and them having a set number, a specific number, and they're trying to get as many guys out of that number as possible and they don't want to miss on anybody – they've got to be more cautious and they've got to be more hesitant. And I think really that's just adding to kind of the philosophy that they've always had, which is really make a run late. It seems like with USC, you can basically hit that reset button once you get into January and those three, four weeks that you have in January, it's just basically a free for all. They've got guys visiting that have been committed to schools for six, seven months. And all of a sudden they visit USC and all of a sudden people are saying, well, Hey, you could go to USC. So, I mean, they've learned that, they can get some real good players in. And January is a great time to visit Southern California. So you always want to kind of leave the door open and have some spots available for that late run.
1: Okay, uh, let's go to a voicemail question. This one from our friend Miguel.
2: Hey Ryan, it's Miguel. I got a question for Gerard. Um, what's the latest on T. Shepherd? Um, I saw a report that said USC is no longer an option. And how I many wide receivers does A. C. USC taking now? So far, I would think only one, maybe two, if uh, Robert Woods uh, leaves early. Thank you very much, and fight on. So T. Shepard has been a subject that's been bantered about uh, on the pair style uh, quite often, and, and really since he basically committed to Notre Dame. Um, you know, he ended the recruiting process with a little bit of drama going back and forth between USC, and he was one of those early enrollees that USC was trying to get in last year, ends up going to Notre Dame. We heard a lot of different reasons why he's left Notre Dame. Um, You know, I won't get into speculating too much, but a lot of kind of negative reasons and some things kind of swirling around uh, kind of uh, his departure there from Notre Dame. USC for quite a while was talked about was you know kind of the school that he was going to end up at, um, but from my sources, were saying they really had not been in contact with him, and not were able were not able to be in contact with him, uh, which I don't really know why yet. I have not kind of figured that out. Um, I wasn't sure if that was something that maybe Notre Dame put a block on him transferring to USC uh, or there was something else going on there, but um, USC had not really been in contact with him. Uh, at this point, I haven't heard anything really new about T. Shepard and USC. I know that you know, T. Shepard would love to go to USC. He's also visited Washington. He's been down to UCLA. He really doesn't want to go to UCLA. Washington State's really not... I think, you know, at the top of his list either, but, you know, his options may be narrowing. I I just haven't really heard much uh, about him and USC lately. Obviously, we just talked a little bit about the limitations with scholarships, and it's tough, you know. So, I mean, you'd be looking at a guy like T. Shepard, and you might have to compare him with, okay, do we bring in T. Shepard, who is going to count towards, you know, that early uh, enrollees for the 2012 class or do we go after a guy like Chris Hawkins, who's going to be an early early for the 2013 class and work, you know, Chris Hawkins is young. Um, he's got his, you know, a lot of football ahead of him and, and he's really just playing football now at a young age. He's 16. He's kind of behind his class. It's kind of almost the opposite of where T Shepard's coming from now. T Shepard hasn't played, you know, organized football for almost going on two years now. He didn't play his senior year because he had to sit out because he transferred. So, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where maybe USC is just feeling pretty good with the recruiting class they have going in right now with 2013, and just you know where everything is set. Uh, maybe T. Shepard would kind of uh, you know uh, kind of mess up that balance a little bit with everything, and uh, you take you know a little bit of a chance with that. And and the other thing is you got to look at just I think in terms of. The past of a lot of these recruits that have had drama throughout the process, if you look at it really closely and you look at the guys like Chantrell Henderson and Burrell Presley and, and Randall Carroll and the guys who seem to have a lot of drama and a lot of things that go on with the process and it seems to be less about you know, finding a school that fits them and more about them – it seems like those guys just don't pan out in college. And, and I'm not saying that's going to happen to T Shepard because that, you know, that's just completely, it's just, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with T Shepard at this point, but if you're looking at the paradigm you kind of have to go, okay, that's a very, that's a possibility. You know, that's one of these things that might happen. And maybe, you know, he, he, he sidetracked. There's a lot of other distractions for him. So I, I think, again, it kind of goes towards, you know, USC's got a good thing going right now. They've got the right kind of kids. Uh, they've got like a good mesh, a, a good bunch of chemistry that's going on in that locker room right now. And I think, you know, Lane Kiffin definitely wants to save that. And, and it's a possibility maybe a guy like T Shepard will kind of get in the way of that a little bit, um, bringing him in late to the 2012 class. Um, Now, as far as receivers go, I think USC is bringing it, too. I think they want a big guy, and they want somebody with a little bit of speed, and it is definitely kind of that guy that would come in for Robert Woods. It's tough because it's not a great year in California for receivers. It's not really a great year nationally for receivers, and I think for big receivers it's really not a good year. There's a kid that we kind of talked about a little bit, introduced to Trojan fans last week, uh, named Eldridge Massington. who's a 6'3", 200-pound receiver from West Mesquite High School in Mesquite, Texas. And he's uh, a huge USC fan. And he's been kind of talking about USC a lot and, and wanted to get some, you know, some, some love from USC for the past uh, few months. He's got a few scholarship offers, but uh, nobody really kind of talking you know, to him from the West Coast so much. Got an offer from UCLA that was cool. He was interested in that. Started to reach out to some people, and I heard through the grapevine that hey, this dude—he uh, really likes USC. He's really serious about USC. So, you know, kind of did some research about him. The kid runs a ten-six-seven, a hundred meters at uh, six-three-two hundred pounds. So that definitely caught my eye. So I'll <laughs> gave him a call, and uh, sure enough, he's a big USC fan and really, really wanted to hear from USC and. and kind of, you know, gave some hints that uh, if he gets that USC offer that uh, he might be quick to jump on board with it. Um, actually, just uh, this past week he ran at 10.57. Um, you know, these are non-official times because there's no wind information, but obviously if you're 6'3 and you're, you know, 195 pounds, 200 pounds, and you're running 10.57, you've got a lot of speed. So USC is going to go down and they're going to see him in person, you know, May evaluation period. They're going to check him out and kind of probably see, you know, what kind of football skills he has because obviously he's a great athlete athlete running that kind of uh, track time so that's one guy that's you know kind of in the mix that's uh, kind of been off the radar a little bit he's not really a national guy he's not a guy that you know came in with a bunch of offers he's just starting to kind of heat up and that's what the main evaluation period is about you know everybody gets all worked out pre-march about who's you know the five stars and who's really the gray who's the guy that was the sophomore all-state guy you know we want to recruit that guy but you know what Sometimes junior year may evaluation, that's when you find some of the best players, the guys that end up being the five stars on signing day. So we'll see what happens with Eldred Massington. But uh, that's a possibility. You know, USC's got to look a little bit, I think, for that other receiver and trying to find a guy that, you know, Robert Woods, man, if he leaves early, tells her some big shoes to fill. And, I mean, maybe USC has that already coming in with Nelson Aguilar and they've got Marquise Lee there already. So, you know, it's not like USC's uh, got no talent at the receiver. (laughs)
1: Right. Uh, Well, you were talking about wide receivers and talking about evaluation for the May evaluation. This is kind of goes right into Terry in Los Angeles's question. He's curious about some of the rankings and and how there can be big discrepancies. He was given an example of two top rated wide receivers on Rivals.com are Ricky Seals-Jones and Derek Griffin, both from Texas and committed to uh, Texas and Texas A&M, if I'm not mistaken. They're ranked one and two, their top 20 overall picks in the Rivals 100 and they have like a handful of scholarship offers, but wide receiver Richard Benjamin has over 30 offers and a bunch of heavy hitters like Alabama, LSU, Florida, Ohio State, and USC. He's ranked way down at number 44 just among the wide receivers. He's like, how is something like this possible? Are the college programs wrong, or is it the player evaluations? What's going on here?
2: It's a good point, and it's a good question to bring up and talk about, and it kind of goes back to that philosophical difference from school to school. I think first and foremost with uh, Ricky Jones-Seals and Griffin, those guys are Texas guys. Those guys committed early. And I think, you know, in Texas you're kind of on track to go to a specific school. And people kind of know that early on. So that kind of forbades a lot of school from coming in and actually offering you and recruiting you hard. So I think with well, those two guys, well, they may be immense talents. I, I think that the process for them was probably – Pretty limited, and there wasn't a lot of talk and a lot of communication with a lot of other schools. Whereas Richard Benjamin, Florida, different thing entirely. You know, he's been a recruit for a while. He's open. He's not talking about leaning towards a specific school. So the more schools that see that and more schools feel that they have a potential to recruit him and get him, the more offers he's going to get. And the thing about scholarship offers is that they're verbal scholarship offers at this point in time. These scholarship offers do not become written until September 1st of their senior year. So a lot of a lot of offers nowadays are just verbal offers, and they're just to get their foot in the door with the kids. So USC offers Richard Benjamin. I, I I'll be honest with you, I couldn't even tell you if they really want Richard Benjamin still. I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I, I don't know. It's an offer that went out way early. They saw some film of him way early, but they could go and see him in person in May and go, wow, this is the guy we offered, but no, 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 no. He's not the guy we thought he was. We just watched some highlight film. We had some people in the area say he was the best receiver in Tampa. You know, we wanted to go get him, but it really wasn't necessarily, we want to go get him so we get his commitment right now. We just want to get our foot in the door because we know he's in the SEC and we know all the other schools in Florida are going to be on him. And it's going to be harder to come in on him late. And so it's one of those things that process wise, you just have to kind of get in the kid's ear, try to make an impression, a good first impression, and then kind of let the chips fall where they may. Because they know that Richard Benjamin's probably not going to turn around and commit to USC side unseen. So they kind of feel it out and they just get the scholarship offer out there. So he knows that USC's there and he has USC in their head. So I think that's really more of a product of these scholarship offers. It's not as easy as looking hey, this kid's got 20 scholarship offers, this kid's got five, that kid must be better because he's got 20. It just doesn't. It's just not as easy as looking like that. There's a lot of different variables that come into play.
1: Okay. Uh, good stuff there. Let's see. Next up, who on USC's 2013 defensive tackle board will make Trojan fans forget about Ellis McCarthy? Thanks for all your excellent work. Greg in the OC, or Gregory in the OC, sorry.
2: Wow, that's a tough question. I don't know if there's anybody that's really going to make them forget about Ellis McCarthy this soon. You know, I think uh, Ellis McCarthy may be not uh, living up to his potential at UCLA. That would probably make USC fans forget about him, but we know that's probably not true either. It's tough to lose an in-state guy, a local guy that's a five-star guy, especially to your rival. So I think, you know, the Ellis McCarthy thing, I I hate to say it for USC fans, but it's probably going to be talk about (laughs) throughout the year, especially when they see him playing for UCLA, it's going to come up, but guys that really, at least for USC's point of view, can, can help them get to a point of, okay, you know, we're reconciling with the Louisiana McCarthy. We've got a great player. That's going to come in. That guy's Kenny Bigelow and he's already committed. So, that's the good thing for USC fans. And we just put up some video of uh, Kenny Bigel at the New Jersey VTO camp looking lovely. I mean, the guy's 6'3", 6'4", about 290. He's got long arms. He's just a beast. And when we saw him in person the first time, I didn't recognize him, didn't really know of him very much because, you know, from a Delaware guy. I mean, he's a sophomore. I, you know, it was the first time when he visited USC, but he was a, Big guy, and I'm thinking, is that a JC guy? Is he? You know, because you see guys are like that, you don't know him. and you're going. I, I mean, if he's a local guy, I'd know him. If he was a a junior, I'd know him. So came and went, and you know, he, he ends up committing. You know, a few weeks later, and it's like that's the Kenny Big. Oh, Penny Bigelow. That's who that was. Holy crap, the kid's huge for the size he is, or for the age he is. And that's the guy that comes in is the three technique that is just a monster. You know, I think really right now he's he's top ten nationally. I think he can move up with a bullet uh, as long as he plays good against the competition that he's going to be playing against this year. He's moved from Delaware. He's not at Red Lion High School anymore. But Red Lion High School is not really anymore, Period. Uh, now it's Eastern Academy, which is in Maryland, so they're going to be playing against some top schools in Maryland, which is better competition, which I think everybody will be able to kind of judge him, engage his talent a little more because he's going to be going against some good teams and some good players, and that is going to get him the ability to shoot up the rankings even more because just watching the, the video and the one-on-ones from the VTO camp from this past weekend – you just watch him in, in, in motion, and there's a lot of wow factor. It's a lot of wow factor. So, while I don't think USC fans can completely forget about Ose McCarthy, I think Kenny Bigelow is definitely a guy uh, that they're going to be excited about and they're going to want to focus on. And, you know, the USC's just got to keep him committed, obviously, being an East Coast guy. But if you watch the video, you know, maybe you get a little bit out of uh, how solid his commitment is. And, you know. Subscribe to USCFootball.com. That's what it's all about.
1: You can check it out. It's good stuff. Uh, let's see. Theo, pretty simple and direct. Please tell me USC is going to offer Eddie Vanderdoes officially soon.
2: Wow. I usually try to do as much as I can for the subscribers, but I can't tell you that USC is going to offer. Eddie Vanderdose. Uh It's a possibility. They could still. It's just May, and there's a lot of offers. It can still go out during the summer. Uh, but USC, just talking about Kenny Bigelow, that's plan A. You know, Kenny Bigelow is definitely number one, plan A, numero uno. He's your guy at three-technique defensive tackle. Then you've got the possibility of Kylie Fitz moving in to defensive tackle. He's about 6'3", about two sixty, 260, two sixty five 265 right now. He can end up being two seventy, 270, two seventy five by the time he gets out of high school. And then you're looking at him being more like a Christian Hayward guy than a defensive end. So... Both Army All-Americans, both guys can play inside. Um, I don't know if USC really wants to go on another guy. It would kind of be, I think, at this point maybe a plan B, or you feel like Kylie Fitz isn't really going to be able to gain away and he's going to play defensive end, and you're kind of happy with him being a strong side defensive end. So there's a possibility it could happen, but I certainly wouldn't guarantee it. Um, I think something would probably have to happen with the defensive line, and it may be spelled that somebody that they feel like they're going to get They're not going to get, you know, USC still recruiting uh, Montrevious Adams, who's a a good 6'4", 285-pound defensive tackle from Georgia, who likes USC and is talking and saying good things about USC. Uh, We've talked about him on the Trojan Blast before. He's a guy that, you know, it's tough to get those defensive tackles out of the SEC. And he's a guy that's looking at Georgia. Alabama's coming on him. He liked Clemson very early on we'll see if he's able to get out on a visit, you know, things can change and and USC can get right into it. Like I said, he's saying good things about USC. Um, But so the plan B's are kind of in that region though, you know, USC went hard after Georgia and Florida as far as defensive linemen. So it seems like with the local guys, you know, they're kind of looking at what they already have and comparing it with that.
1: All right. Uh, We have a question from Amir. Uh, he Amir actually, Carlisle?
2: Is he going to tell us no. about the
1: 2011 class and why he doesn't count towards it? <laughs> he might. No, it's Amir and Sherman Oaks. He actually called in, but it was uh, it was kind of a minute and a half long question, so we can't really play the whole thing. But his first part was, you wanted to talk about the defensive backs and who you thought the best five defensive backs out there USC could get.
2: Ooh, uh, a, a draft question. It's uh, coming up for draft. The, the, the Thursday is the draft. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm a big fan of Max Redfield, and so I, I think Max Redfield is definitely the guy that uh, you've got to have on some team at some point um, as a safety and probably as a free safety, and that's where USC's, uh you know, bringing him in. Um, I was really impressed with Priest Willis at the Nike camp. Um, you know, he really kind of showed me a whole nother level of ability at the Nike camp. And, and that's a guy that you can kind of bring in as a corner or as a safety. You can kind of float him around there a little bit. Um, you know, Stu Cravens is a kind of the guy that's it's hard to, it's hard to figure out where he's going to play. Uh, do you, do you put him towards the linebackers? Do you put him towards maybe an offensive position or do you say that he's going to be his safety? I, I, I kind of am going to fudge and say, uh, maybe he doesn't play safety, so it lets me get a couple other guys in. Can I do that maybe? <laughs> can, I maybe Go ahead. can I maybe say that I'm bringing in uh, Sua as a athlete? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Sua is an athlete, so I still have three spots left. Um, You know, the more I see of Chris Hawkins, I like him. The fact that, you know, Chris Hawkins has come in and been full USC and is it seems to be a solid part of the class, I think, it, it, it's big value there. I think people underestimate the off-field things, and, and I've talked about it before. You know, just with USC going after guys, and even some of the role players that they, you know, guys like Red Ellison and stuff. You, you have to look at the athletic ability of these guys and the attributes, but you also have to look at what they bring to your locker room off the field. And I think Chris Hawkins is a real positive guy off the field, and I like where he fits in with this class. I like that he's a local guy, and I like that he's coming in early, and he's going to be able to help the depth with spring ball and be able to learn and be able to get on, you know, fall camp and hit the ground running. So I like him too. Um, How many, uh, I got Priest, I got Redfield, I got Hawkins. Um, I'd be tempted to go after Vernon Hargraves uh, because everybody loves him in Florida. I like his highlight film too a lot, but I don't know if I'm completely head over heels About going after a guy in Florida, who's only about five ten, five nine. Uh, You know, Mackenzie Alexander, I would go after for sure. Um, In fact, since you know it doesn't really matter who I have a chance at and who I don't, I can spin my wheels on anybody. I'd say Mackenzie Alexander would probably be a guy to go after too. He's a prototypical Florida corner, six foot, 175 pounds. Uh, talks trash faster than he runs. Uh, he's aggressive. Um, he's just—he's he, everything. But you know, he doesn't have the gold teeth and the dreads. That's the only thing that you would think. Okay, Florida corner. That was, that's the only thing that's missing from him. But he's really good and uh, probably one of the better corners I've seen at the Army All-American Combine uh, in recent years. Um, and I guess, um, shoot, uh, do I need more corners or do I need more safeties? I don't know, I, I you know, I, it, it comes down between probably Tahon Goodman, who I love as an athlete, and a player, and maybe another national corner, and, and I guess if I've got Redfield, and I've got Willis, yeah, and I've got Hawkins, and I've got Alexander, I might need another safety because i got guys that are probably playing corner. So I'll probably go to Han Goodman and bring him in. And um, another guy, again, I think good kid, um, teammates with Chris Hawkins. I think local kid. I'm very biased when it comes to that. I think that that's always a good thing for your program when you have those local players. I think they play hard for you. They play hard for their city. They play hard you know, for their family and the people that come out and watch them play. I'm not against going out and getting the top guys nationally and peppering them in, but I think you need that nucleus. And I think that's really where USC is at right now, and that's why they're doing really good with recruiting because they have that
1: local nucleus okay uh a mere second part of his question was about khalil rogers wanted to know if he was going to get an offer and bill had the same question he said he watched recent video of khalil rogers and was very impressed it seems like he has no problem moving people uses his arms very well to control the defensive guy any news it seems like he'd be a perfect fit for center help solidify bigelow and sills even more if they get if he gets an offer yeah,
2: again, it kinda is almost like the debate with you know Chris Hawkins and, and guys you know bringing in a nucleus of guys that work well together and the chemistry thing and how much you value that chemistry with a football team uh, and not just going after a whole who who's the best you know talent guy and and sometimes the the, the highest ranked guy may not be the best guy for your program. Kilo Rogers has been killing it in the camps and he's been killing it for a while. He is a really good player. But he is a guard, and USC needs offensive tackle. So you're going after guys like Nico Fala. He's 6'5", 275, a little longer, a little more rangy, a guy that can maybe play right tackle, maybe play a little left tackle. He's, he's more of the prototypical player from a body uh, standpoint, from you know, just the wingspan and the things that you need for a guy to play on the edge as a pass protector. Khalil Rodgers not that guy. So it's, it's tough. I don't know. I just don't know how USC views is, whether really, they view their current roster because that's what you've got to do. You've got to do self-evaluation of your personnel. Do you think that Andre Walker can legitimately play tackle? Is he really going to be a tackle in the future? Because then it gives you a little more leeway and you start to go, okay, I can open up some spots inside and not have to worry so much. But if you're feeling like you've got a bunch of guards, which it looks like to me, you know, from the outside looking in, from an evaluation standpoint, it looks like USC's got a bunch of interior guys. I think you've got to hold that offer and try to get another offensive tackle. And, and they're not really out there this year. That's, that's the tough part is that you've got all these guys, and none of them are really prototypical left tackles. All the left tackles were in the 2012 class. And so now you've got you know, a bunch of guys that are guards. I think if it comes down to where you've got two guys in this class and you can only sign two guys, and you feel like you can get a legitimate tackle and you feel you get one guy who's gonna be like you know what we're good with that guy that guy is going to be able to contribute he's going to be a starter for us at some point then i think you might be able to fudge and just go after the best lineman and so if he the next guy is an offense tackle cool that's awesome if he's not then khalil rogers is a pretty damn dominant inside guy I mean, I'm also a fan of Dane Crane, who I think is a great center. USC kind of looked like they were going after a center late last year and kind of missed out on some guys and been pulled back on the guy. So maybe that center position is still in question. You know, they moved Cody Temple over to the defensive line. So maybe the depth there, there's a little more of a, a spot that's opened up. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's some, there's some movement there. I, and I think it's something that, you know, the coaches are going to have to debate and look at.
1: Okay, uh, let's see. we got a bunch of running back questions. First one is from Melvin. He wants to know, why isn't USC tailback you anymore? Not sure if it's NFL draft questions. And he said, we don't have any star running backs in the NFL. Even Reggie has been passed up by Maurice Jones-Drew. Or recruitment, losing out on a guy like DeAnthony Thomas last year or coaching. Uh, Why isn't USC getting top running backs each year like they used to or not developing running backs like they used to?
2: Yeah, it's really kind of an issue of, of of development and then kind of recruitment and i think both go hand in hand and it's it's a complicated thing we could probably spend a whole podcast talking about this specifically i think just in general I think USC got a little greedy and they brought in too many guys. You know, they they brought in Emmanuel Moody and then they had, you know, Stephon Johnson and then CJ Gable and they had you know, this guy on top of this guy. And then, you know, oh, Joe McKnight's the guy now. You know, he's going to be the next Reggie Bush. Let's uh, stick Joe McKnight in there and give him as many carries as possible. And he was kind of a square peg in a round hole as far as trying to make him the next Reggie Bush. I, I feel like that you know they 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 it's, it's the whole saying you know if you have two quarterbacks you don't have one quarterback and i think I see it became at some point almost like that i mean we were writing fall camp articles about how they had you know seven five star guys at a running back you know at some point you're sacrificing the ability for one guy to stand out you know allen bradford it took him till what the last game of the senior year to really be able to just get carries because there was really not a lot of other options and we saw what he could do and you imagine what happens if USC just has him two years later. They just use him and Stephon Johnson, and they move C.J. Gable to another position or something. You know, does that running back position totally change? I tell you, Stephon Johnson was probably one of the best pure backs that they've had over the years, and obviously the injury kind of hurt him and hurt his potential as a pro. I think, you know, Alan Bradford still is an athlete. I mean, I think he's going to have a future in the NFL. I think somebody's just got to be patient and, and give him that shot, and I think he could still play uh, running back um so I mean I think that the talent was there but again I think development and recruitment they go hand in hand and you've got to be a little more definitive in what you want and you know go with those guys you know ride those guys look what's happened with Curtis McNeil now there's a perfect example of a guy that I guarantee you if USC had other options last year we may never have saw Curtis McNeil and so what happens when you give a guy a shot and you go with them you, because you have to go with them? Well, I think maybe USC learned a little bit from that, and they, and they have to, with this recruiting class, find a guy and go with that guy. And if he's not the guy, then you have to find somebody else and go with him. But the thing about trying to keep everybody happy – I think it hurts development and, and you know what? It's a fair criticism because you look at Cal Cal's produced more NFL running backs in, in recent years. And so USC is trying to come back on that. They're trying to say, listen, okay, we gotta, we gotta take a step back, figure out what we're doing wrong and make sure that we make this tailback you again, because it's still tailback you. I mean, it's still the tradition goes way back and you know, not a lot of other schools can, can, can throw those Heisman trophies out there the way USC can. Um, so it's just kind of a, what have you done for me lately type thing. And i uh, tr- Trust me, as long as Kennedy Palmolive is there, they're going to get back to where they need to be because, uh, you know, you see with, with the way he approaches things and, and kind of, you know, the, what he's done with less basically at this point with Mark Tyler injured and and and, and, uh, and Curtis McNeil and, and uh, you know, T.J. Morgan, just these guys, it's, it's certainly not – it's a mirror of what, uh, you know, they had in pre- recent years with uh, talent. So, you know, when he starts to get these guys that are the five-star guys and he gets, a, you know, a class of two, three running backs for 2013 – and they're all going to probably be really good guys, it's going to be interesting to see how he takes that and kind of runs with it.
1: Okay, JD in DC wants to know, he thinks uh, Sual Cravens would fill out the 2013 running back class really well along with Justin Davis. Uh, he thinks both those guys could commit uh, and could be early commits for USC. What do you think about Cravens? We, we would just put some video up of him uh, over the weekend, him coming in as a running back.
2: Man, we talked a lot about Cravens last week, so I don't want to go over kind of, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we've kind of treaded that already. I think that it's possible. I think definitely as an offensive player, again, I mean, he's got the ball skills and he's got the just the awareness and those things that you can't teach from an offensive standpoint um, I think, you know, his passion is at safety. He wants to play safety. I think that still gives him an opportunity to get his hands on the ball and, and he can still be a playmaker in that respect. Um, I think UFC from where they're recruiting right now, at least where their head's at, I think that's kind of in the back pocket. Like, you know, we could, we could maybe use uh, Sewell Cravens on offense. It's a possibility. It's a good option to have when you've got a five-star guy coming in. And like I said, you know, I kind of fudged in with the five defensive backs and things like I said, I'll bring him in as an athlete. I mean, <laughs> the USC can kind of do that. You know, they can kind of bring him in as an athlete and see. But I think right now it's, it's really – my feel is it's Justin Davis – Okay, that's, that's that's numero uno right now. That's the guy's you know, going to be committing here in May. And USC's in a good position, so that's kind of, you know, make sure you, you, you get that locked up. And then you've got Ty Isaac still floating around out there who's probably going to make a commitment sometime during the summer. And he's, you know, number one on the list as far as, you know, guys I think nationally uh, as a running back. Um, and then you kind of got – that third guy that's like, okay, is it, is there going to be a speed guy? You know, is is Alvin Kamara serious about coming out to USC? I mean, that's a speed back. That's the guy who, you know, showed out at the Nike camp um, in Atlanta. Uh, he's a guy that you watch on film. that has got, you know, really good finishing ability. You got Craig Lee, who I think is a tremendous finisher as well, a local guy. And I know USC likes him too. So... There's, there's those other that's kind of that other dimension there with the speed guy and and what you know did they did they try to go thunder and lightning here with this class and and are they able to do it are you able to stack the class are you able to get three guys uh, especially when you're talking about you know limited limited scholarships and and all of these other things that kind of come into it so it's interesting it's interesting but I I think Sua. So, uh, is kind of, he's a safety first, and then they kind of, you know, okay, well, we've got some guys at safety. We like those guys at safety, too. Maybe things don't work out at running back for whatever reason, and he gets a look there. That's probably more how it would
0: happen.
1: Okay, and then one last one. Uh, this is from Bob. It might be a little obscure, Gerard, but we'll see uh, See if you know this one. Uh, the ongoing issues associated with depth at the running back position. Um, there are ongoing issues with the depth at running back position. Has the team ever considered Jeff Kim? from Beckman. He's a Korean kid from the same school as Elijah Steen, and he's a tremendous runner. Getting him as a preferred walk-on would be awesome. So we're, we're getting more, with the sanctions, Gerard, we're getting more walk-on and preferred walk-on questions. Uh, so some interesting takes here. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what we're, we're looking at. I am admittedly very ignorant when it comes to preferred walk-ons. <laughs> and, and I mean, I was like, Robbie Boyer fan because, you know, modern day and, and, you know, watching uh, Matt Barkley and I thought, man, that's – that they get him as a preferred walk-on, that's great. And, you know, so that was one guy that I knew of. But I'm not familiar with Jeff Kim, unfortunately. But if he's a good player, I'll take your word for it. As a preferred walk-on, hey, it's all cake. Bring him on. He could (laughs) win the spot. Hey, look it. We had people at uh, one of the practices thinking that – uh, who was the kid wearing uh, 47 for uh, the offense, and they thought it was Scott Starr. And they thought, you know, this kid's amazing. He's an amazing <laughs> player. He's playing the running back now. And it turned out not to be Scott Starr, but uh, a walk-on running back. And it's like, you know what, you can you can uh, scoff all you want, but that guy made practice better for all those ones and all those guys that are on scholarship. And if you've got a guy that can come in and contribute and can do things for you and, I mean, play special teams I and mean, shoot, it, 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 it's, it's all gravy. <laughs> and so – Sure, yeah, bring him in as a walk-on. He could end up being uh, the guy who wins the job. I mean, shoot, we're not talking about Ty uh, Isaac. Ty Isaac who? I mean, dude, Jeff Kim, dude, he's, come on.
1: <laughs> cool. Well, Gerard, thanks for going through that. Pretty pretty long uh, recruiting podcast without any breaks, so good job. We tried, We didn't get to every single question. That have, do we usually have breaks? Water break. Guys, just uh, give us a minute here. We're going to take some water. The regular podcast, and... we take a break, you know, and I go different guests. But this one's just all Gerard. All the time. We didn't get to every single question, but I, at least one by everyone that sent them in. So there's some repeat guys that I didn't get to their questions. So sorry about that. But uh, thanks, everyone, for sending in those questions. We do appreciate it and hope you guys enjoy the Peristyle Podcast, the Trojan Blast Recruiting Edition. It's definitely very popular with the fans over on uscfootball.com. And thanks again, Gerard.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: All right. Everyone, thank you again for tuning in. We'll see you next week on the Parastyle Podcast.